don't receive what we want from the Lord because we don't engage him in the way that he demands. A simple example is 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. We come to services like this tonight, and we come weighted down with the cares of this world. We come weighted down with problems, pressure, with a performance mindset. And we find it hard to receive anything into our spirit. We receive a lot intellectually, but we don't press into the dimension of the spirit where we can receive something from the Lord and be changed. And the reason is because we haven't engaged him in the way that he has said. He has said, cast all your care on me, for I care for you. He has said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The book of Hebrews says, there remaineth rest for the people of God. If you're here tonight, the only reason you don't have rest in your soul is because you choose not to have it. That's the only reason. Oh, Brother Isaac, I am, uh, I, I got a lot going on, okay? Brother Isaac, I, you don't know what the enemy's been doing to me. Well, the enemy can do whatever he wants, but are you engaging your Heavenly Father from the perspective of the scripture, or are you engaging him from the perspective of your humanity? The, the four weeks of classes we're doing are altar work and, and public ministry, and tonight uh, the, 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 the subtitle that I am teaching under is Demonstrating the Kingdom in Public Places. The main portion of, of, the, of, of what the Lord's led me to talk about tonight has to do with what you and I do to be ready to minister in public places. You see, the first principle of ministering in the altar, ministering in public, is that something has to die. Something has to die. Scripture say in the book of Romans, I'm going to read it to you. Forgive me if this doesn't sound like your version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Something has to die in order for us to step into the 
place of ministry and be effective in ministering to other people. So we're going to pray again because there's some of us here that aren't ready to minister to people right now. And the scripture says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Many of you came here tonight to receive. But the minority of us here tonight came to give. So we're going to take another minute and prepare our hearts. Whatever ministry the Lord wants to do, it may, it, you may only minister to a brother or, or sister by giving them a hug at the end of this service. I, I don't know. But we've got to be prepared at all times to minister. So we're, we're going to take another pause here in the Holy Ghost, and we're going to pray. And we're going to let some things, set some things aside. This does not have to take long. It only has to take a long time if you choose for it to. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, I lay down my will. Jesus, I lay down my attitude. Jesus, I lay down my words, my goals, my dreams, my plans. I lay down my expectation and I take up yours. I take up yours, Jesus. I take up your expectations. I take up your faith that comes from your word, that comes from me hearing your words. For we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by your word. In the name of Jesus. Come on, come on. Some of you are, are close to your transition point. Some of you are close to your transition point right now. You're close to that, that, that point where, think, where the scale tips into the, into the dimension of faith. This is not about exerting effort. This is about entering into the rest, rest that your heavenly father has offered you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6. This week is, is an introduction and overview. Um, the Lord has, um, the, lo it, the Lord has changed my direction a couple times over the last few days. Um, and the direction he's given me is to follow him. So here we go. Um, next week, Brother McGurk is going to be ministering on how to um, pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost and how to minister to other people's faith to get them to a place where they can receive. Um, after that, Brother Mott is going to be ministering um, about the altar and about um, 
preparing yourself for ministry in some other areas. I'm going to be hitting a couple of those tonight uh, in an introductory fashion. Um, and I'm going to start with answering the main one of the, the first question that most people ask when they when they start ministering in public settings is, what do I say? What do I say? Matthew chapter 6, if you're not there, please turn with me there. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Take heed you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when you do alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they, may be, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do alms, let not your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret. And your father, which sees in secret, shall reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you shut the door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and thy Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. And when you pray... Use not vain repetition, as the heathen does, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not like unto them. I want to read verse 7 again in a few different translations. In the English Standard Version, it says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they, that they will be heard for their many words. The Amplified says, And when you pray, do not heap phrases, multiply words, repeating the same ones over and over as the Gentiles do, where they think they will be heard for their much speaking. The New Living Translation says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. The Passion Translation says, when you pray, there is no need to repeat empty phrases praying like those who do not know God, for they expect God to hear them because of their many words. The Message Bible says, the world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. So the, to answer the question, when, you're, when you begin public ministry and you're wanting to look at what you should say in your prayer, what you should say, we're going to go into some more detail. But the, the, I'm going I'm to synthesize and, and summarize this for you in the, in, by saying this. Keep it simple. If any of you if any of you are caught in public praying in the King James English, you should 
be dis utterly destroyed. <laughs> Nobody talks like that. Nobody talks like that. You're going you're gonna to lose the people's faith the second you open your mouth. You're not trying to pray to impress people with flowery words. You're praying so that it is known that you know God. Normally, if my, uh, if my parents are in conversation, I can get their attention by saying one word. Dad, mom, assuming they're in a position where they can hear me. That was an oldest child dig. I, I, have, I, have, I, don't think she, I don't think my old mom heard me. I'm going to get in trouble for this one. I can keep it simple because I know them. If you have to complicate your prayer, it identifies you as not knowing God. So if you are someone, you're wondering what, what you should say. And for another matter, Jesus told the disciples, he said, when, he said there's going to be a day where you're before magistrates and kings. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't prepare your words ahead of time. I will fill your mouth. Let the Lord fill your mouth. Let the Lord fill your mouth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Verse 2 says, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on, you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You're not impressing yourself, God, or others. When you fill empty space with, with a long string of words that are beautiful, you're not impressing anyone. You are identifying yourself as someone that does not know the Father. I want to give you an example of this. First Kings chapter 18, and we're going to read several verses here, and we're going to, this is where we're going to begin to divert and hit multiple topics and sort of go off topic for a minute. First Kings chapter 18, verse 25. In this particular passage of scripture, the, the, the prophet Elijah is on Mount Carmel, and he is um, in the process of embarrassing the prophets of Baal, 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 I've heard it, heard it both ways, I've heard it multiple ways. Um, and... I've also heard it bail, for what it's worth. Um, this is an interesting passage. At some point, if you've never read this chapter, you should read it. And then get to the part where it says that Elijah killed them all. And then go back up and count how many people he killed. And, and then think about how men, of, how men of God are now and how merciful the Lord is to his people. For just, he killed 400 people. 
man of God killed 400 people. God is merciful. <laughs> what would we do if pastor came in wielding a sword on Sunday morning? <laughs> or bishop, for that matter, came in wielding a sword. That would be interesting. <laughs> I'm thankful the Lord doesn't do that as much anymore. I'm sure it's going to happen at some point. But <laughs> Verse 25 of 1 Kings chapter 18. Then Elijah said to the prophets, choose yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. Yes, Elijah did say that, he, that or he, or God was using the bathroom. Yes, he did, okay? He did. It's potty talk. <laughs> it's literal <laughs> potty talk in the Bible. <laughs> and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of, of the oblation, which is the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. So first principle here. The, the prophets of Baal don't know God. When you open your mouth to pray and you are uttering words that don't mean anything over and over again. I'm not talking when you pray in the spirit because that is a, that is a language that God understands. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you are saying empty phrases over and over again, you are identifying yourself as a prophet of Baal. There is a direct correlation. Our God is a consuming fire. He is alive. Both literally and figuratively, he is alive. He is living. He is breathing. We don't need to repeat ourselves over and over again as if he is a statue and cannot hear us. We know that he hears us when we pray. Or at least we should. But then we transition to the last verse here. The altar of God on Mount Carmel was in disrepair. The feedback that I got from most of you here tonight, just a few moments ago, is that God, is does God really hear me when I pray? Because I'm praying, and I'm not getting my prayers answered. Well, first of all, that's not true. 
as my children are quite aware, there are three possible answers to every question. And one of the answers has multiple versions of it. Yes, maybe. Maybe is also not right now. Maybe is also later. Maybe is also, we'll see. And then there's the infamous, no. If you are praying and you're not getting an answer to your prayer, God's telling you no or a version of maybe, which is wait from God. So does God answer prayer? He does. He does. But the problem is, most of us have an altar that's in disrepair. And because we're not making daily sacrifice to him, we haven't visited our altar enough to know what it is he likes. We haven't spent the time enough to get to know him and know what it is he wants for us and our lives. We get so used to being led by the Spirit subconsciously or not or without our own awareness that we forget that God speaks let's go back to the beginning the first sacrifice we know of in scripture was the was the animal that was slain so that Adam and Eve could have clothes that's the first one we know of The next time we hear about the altar is with Cain and Abel, where Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We don't know specifically how Cain and Abel learned how to sacrifice other than to say God told Adam and Eve what he wanted. And they told Cain and Abel. That's, that's, the, that's the most we could say. We could try to make up other stuff, but that's the simplest form that that's how they got it. So if you're hearing a first-person account of what God wants, and you change the offering, there is only one possible option. You did it willfully. So if God says to us in Romans chapter 12, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, and we are offering him anything other than that, we are acting in willful disobedience. 
and willful disobedience in the scripture has a name. We're going to talk about that later. Or we can talk about it now. Talk about it now. Willful disobedience in the scripture is called iniquity. We like to make it fancy and say, oh, it's, it's lawlessness. When we say it's lawlessness, we excuse ourselves from it, and we're saying, oh, that applies to the lost. No, no. It applies to the saints of the Most High God. Because when he gives us instructions in his word, if we don't obey them, it is willful disobedience. It's willful, dis willful disobedience. From the very beginning of, uh, of this whole human experiment from God's perspective, the only thing we can say that he wanted from Adam, from Eve, from their descendants, from us, is fellowship. That's all. God is not, he's not, com he, he, he's complex, but he's not complicated. He is vast, but he's not complicated. He's simple to understand. All he wants is our fellowship. So if you, don't answer this question out loud, please. But if you have not been to your altar in a while, then you are identified with the people of Israel in 1 Kings 18, verse 30. Your altar is in disrepair. Why isn't God answering my prayers? Well, Mark 14, verse 38 says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. But the KJV says, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. That word temptation there means a time of testing. So when it, where the scripture says, watch ye and pray, that means stay awake and pray. Don't enter into sleep. Stay awake and pray so that you don't enter into a time of testing. So if you don't pray and you don't stay awake, what happens? You enter into a time of testing. But what's the flip side? The flip side is you pray and you enter into a wilderness led by the Holy Ghost, just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 4. 
Both sides are entering into a wilderness season. The purpose for one is a release into your destiny in him. The purpose for the other, to get you back off the track of iniquity. The Lord is so serious about this. Well, I, I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to, 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 to lay before the Lord for hours. I, I don't have the time to spend or to in redeem, rather, or invest that it takes to, to die out to self. Let me correct you. You better have the time. Here's why. If you can imagine Jesus entering into the wilderness on the opposite equation, not because he was led there by the Holy Ghost to be released into his destiny, but as a time of correction for not walking circumspectly, as Paul said. Let me, let me finish my point, and then I'll go on, then I'll ask the, that question. If you're Jesus, and you enter into the wilderness under those conditions, do you think you would give in to your flesh and, and the temptation of the enemy, or do you think you would overcome? Now let's bring it closer to home. What would, you, what, what would it be like for you? You spend all your time saying yes to your flesh. Yes to your flesh. Saying, you know, let's cast off restraint. Let's just make it easy and comfortable. And then the enemy comes to tempt you. And what's the first thing we do? We, we off-road with the first temptation. The first temptation in Matthew chapter four, verse three, the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Oh, my goodness. He's appealing to our need for food. <laughs> what do we do when we get hungry, everybody? What? Oh, no, we don't just eat. We don't. We eat more than we need to. Why? Because we don't want to have to come back to the fridge for an hour or so. Or we just mindlessly eat when we get stressed. Don't worry, I'm not coming for anybody's diet. The Lord's not leading me to, so I'm just I'm going to take, take, hit the point and move on. Although we could, but I'm not going to. We eat for our own comfort. The first time the enemy comes, he would have most of us. Dead to rights. 
I'm talking about ministering in public. He would have most of us dead to rights. Why? Because we're so in tune with our need for hunger to be satiated in our humanity, our need for our hunger to be satiated, our, our need for comfort through food, that the second he says that in our, temp, in our time of testing, you would look down at the stones and be like, be made bread. You would. No, I wouldn't, Brother Isaac. Oh, come on now. I, I can hear some of you. You're being too hard on us. Pastor B is here, and, and I don't mean this in any type of challenging way. If he pulls my coattails and tells me to stop, I will sit down willingly. I know this is direct. I know this is coming across harder than you want on a Thursday. But temptation number two. The tempter took him to, a whole, to the holy city, this is Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. So he challenges Jesus' ego. Prove who you are by performing a miracle. Most of us have no idea who we are enough to not fall for that. We would start fasting and praying right away and jump off the pinnacle of that temple. Why? Because I got I to gotta, I gotta prove who I am. No, you don't. Who, where does the Lord ever say that you have to prove who you are? Where, where in the scriptures does he ever say, my people, you need to prove who you are to the enemy when he comes? Never said it. I only know that because I've, I've been reading and studying it. It's not there. He never said that. So where does it come from that we have to we have to lash out and, and, and take, a, take a rash action, as Ecclesiastes 5.2 says, to prove who we are. Because there's a peace inside of us that hasn't been put on the altar yet. I know what it's like to stand in front of someone who has a death sentence. They are dying and they ask you to pray for them. I know what that's like, to have that, 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 that feeling from your own humanity that, that just wants to make it happen, to prove that God can do it. But then, if I'm really, if, if I'm really transparent and honest with myself, there was never a sense from the Holy Ghost that dwells within me, I am going to heal that situation. But what did I do? 
I prayed anyway. Of course. He did what David would do. Pray anyway. But instead of understanding that God made his choice when it didn't happen, what, what, what did I do? I went home questioning, Lord. Why didn't you do it? Why? Why didn't you answer that prayer? You said if I ask anything in your name, you would do it. But when I read his word, he says, it's according to my will. And it wasn't my will to heal that situation. You prayed outside of my will. Okay. Let's have a reality check. How many of us have fallen prey to iniquity because we didn't, and we didn't watch and pray, and we enter into a time of testing, and then we start praying for the time of testing to end? Anybody? By your chuckles, I presume you've done it before, and you wonder, man, the Lord said he would provide a way of escape for me. Why isn't he doing it? Because it's his will. He's got to teach us the lesson. The lesson is not, suck it up, kids. This, I'm punishing you. That's not the lesson. The lesson is, watch with me and pray. And you will only be led through the times of testing that I lead you into. The time of testing created by not watching and not praying is a season of our own creation allowed by the Lord to get us to watch and pray. That's what I mean, I, I've been certain I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this in a prideful way. Please, those of you that are spiritual, please check my heart and spirit and understand that I'm not I am not saying this in a prideful way. I have been checking the scriptures to find a way around this. I am not going to lie to you. I want there to be a better way. I, sorry, Lord. I have wanted there to be a better, a different way. I have wanted there to be a different way. I have wanted there to be a different way. I, I have. The only way that he will accept my sacrifice is if I do it his way. He's not going to honor anything but his way. He won't do it. He absolutely is not going to do it. And I can't tell you how much time in my own walk with God that I have wasted praying for stuff that I created to be removed. Only to come to the realization in the last month or so, wow, I did this. And Lord, you were merciful enough to let it come crashing down so that I would actually learn a lesson. This is what this is what lesson learning lessons like for me. It's like, wow. Wish I'd learned that sooner. But now we have the mess. Now we have the test and testimony. And so what do we think we do? We, we, we repent, right? 
We get on the altar for maybe five or six days in a row. And then when it doesn't fix the circumstance that we're in, what do we do? Don't tell me. Don't tell me. We let our altar get in disrepair again. Is that right? That's right. Oh, Brother Isaac, you're being hard. This is Bible. I could talk to you about this for days. I got scripture to prove it. He will not honor anything but his way. He's not going to. So what is this how does it, how does this connect to public public ministry? If you step before people and you haven't addressed the moat that is in your eye, that doesn't mean you don't have struggles. That's not what this means. It means that you and the Lord are in communication about your circumstances. Not in the fact that you're waiting on him to fix them, but you have learned your lesson and you are now pursuing him. You're not praying for the circumstance to change. You're praying for fellowship with him. That's what he wants from the beginning. From, from the beginning. I, I, was, I got home from work today and, you know, been working on, on putting some of these notes together and was, you know, uh, I, I sometimes work out to, 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 you know, get my mind right. And I, so I was on, on the way home, I said, Lord, can, can I work out when I get home to kind of get ready? And I didn't feel him say yes or no. You pray about working out? I, I, I do now. I do now. And I didn't feel a release in my heart, so I, I, I didn't. So I walk in the door, you know, set my stuff down, closed the door behind me, just laid on the floor. Just like, you know, Lord, I don't have a lot of strength because it's been a long day. So I just laid, laid on the floor, just started to pray in the spirit. And before I knew what was happening, I realized that there was some stuff that I had just allowed to get in the way. And within just a couple minutes of laying those things aside, there was a flow there. I was like, oh, this is, okay, Lord, you're right. This is what I've been missing. And a few minutes later, he started talking to me about, about tonight and a couple of the things. And, and he said to me, he's like, Isaac, from the beginning, this is all I wanted. I just wanted fellowship. That's all. And your public ministry is just an extension of your fellowship with me. What a reminder. What a, what a reminder. If you have an altar that's in disrepair, oh, I, I, I pray that you don't leave it that way. I want to go back to something I said, the Holy Ghost said a few minutes ago at the beginning, and that was addressing whether or not you have hours to spend each day in prayer to die to yourself. I said that to the Lord one day, several days, in fact, over and over again. Years I said it to him until 
I went and read the scripture. And unfortunately for us, there is nowhere in the scripture where it says you must pray for X amount of hours to die to self. Unfortunately, it's not a science. But also, fortunately, it doesn't say you have to spend X amount of hours. Because, Brother Barks, if I had to spend eight hours a day in prayer, I know I have an employer that would probably not allow me to keep my job. And I have a wife and four children that would probably begin to resent me if that's what it required. So the Lord began to, ha- began to teach me about how ministry and the flow of life really worked. And he took me to took me to the Apostle Paul and he asked me what did I tell Paul about dying well Lord so like you go read your Bible you find it oh well Paul says die every day that's what Paul said Paul says die every day so as I continue down the leading of the Lord what does that mean This is where I came to. I have been waiting for all of my days to reach a moment, a a cataclysmic event where it all happens, like the movies, where boom, every that that encounter, and then all of a sudden everything just works. And I would reach that place on Monday and Tuesday because I was dying every day. Then I would go to sleep Tuesday night, Brother Barks, and wake up Wednesday morning. And let me tell you, I didn't die that day. And I had to start all over again. And I realized, you know, sleep is important. But if I could find a way to change the strand in my DNA just enough to not require sleep, I could probably walk in the spirit much better. Because once I go to sleep and rest, Flesh has a chance to gussy itself up, kind of like Jezebel. Get all pretty for Jehu. You know? Because that's what happens. Every night, you, every night when you go to sleep, we have a wonderful church service on Sunday night, and we are all raring to go sun, Monday morning. And by Monday evening, we're starting to 
come down. By Tuesday morning, we're still good on Tuesday, but Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, woo! Why? Because it's not a once and for all process. And this is the part that I hate. I hate this part. I hate this part with everything inside of me. What time is it? I hate this part. I don't like it. I can't stand it. But it's God's way. We have to do this every day so that we can be in his will every day, so that we can walk in his spirit every day, so that we can hear his voice and follow his direction every day. So that we can fellowship with him every day. Here's the other part that most of us don't want to hear. There aren't any days off to dying. So the days you don't go to work. And you're just home all day, vegging, are days you have to die also. I'm going to ask you a radical question. This is radical. Only radical people ask this question. Have you ever asked yourself, or have you ever asked God, God, what can I do to entertain myself today? And waited to see if he would answer. This guy's weird. I've, I've asked that question. And I've gotten answers that would surprise you. <laughs> I remember one day sitting in, uh, sitting in the bed. And uh, I just had just finished uh, some ministry. I can't remember what it was. And I was just, I was zonked. I, I was out of it. And I sat on my bed and I was, just took a deep sigh. And I'm listening to the Lord. My, my, my training in ministry um, from my elders, plural, but mainly uh, my father, have always been, Isaac, you got to listen to the Lord at all times. You're always listening, always listening, because he's, he's, he's always talking. He's always trying to give you direction. So I, by the help and grace of the Lord, that's what I, that's what I do. I, I'm always listening. And the Lord said to me, <clears throat> I need you to watch XYZ TV show. Right. Say that again. And so, no. Being the obedient child of God that I am. You okay, you guys think I'm lying. And it's okay that you think I'm lying. But do you have the guts to try it when God tells you to do something you don't think is right? The, the worst thing that could have happened is it, it could have been just sin. Like complete, utter sin. And I would have had to repent. But, so I obeyed what I felt to do. Turn it on, and there was a spirit 
of rest from him that started flowing the second the TV show came on. Now, what I did not take from that is that, Isaac, whenever you are resting, you should always watch TV. That was not the lesson. That was not the lesson. I know that was not the lesson. He has taught me enough for me to know that that was not the lesson. The lesson was, I can give you rest whenever, but ask me. He is the Lord. What is Sabbath? Sabbath is rest, right? He is Lord of the Sabbath. He can declare Sabbath whenever he wants. And just for those that still think that I'm sacrilegious, we have been taught in this church that one of the ways that you can tell if you're, if, if you're doing something in the will of God or not is whether you can pray and stay connected to God while you're doing it. And I prayed the whole time. Didn't watch the whole thing. It was like 20 minutes and I went to sleep. But the, the point, the greater point here is what do you do to enter into rest are you willing to do it God's way? Isaiah 28, 11. Can, can, whoever's on the screen, can you put Isaiah 28, 11 up, please? Gracias. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Verse 12. To whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Because you have the Holy Ghost deep inside of you, you can enter into rest anytime. If you need a drink of spirit water, spiritual water, all you have to do is turn on the faucet. That's all you have to do. You and I are living below our means when we don't do things God's way. So let's take a drink. Everybody close your eyes, lift your hands. We're just going to take a drink. I have a good another hour's worth of material at least. So we're just going to pause right here because I haven't even gotten to the good, good stuff yet. <laughs> let's, take a, let's take a drink. Let's take a drink. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Io romosi andala la manda Jesu. Io romosa manda lo bodo okosata. That's it. Take a drink. Take a drink. Io romosi andala la banda Jesu.
points of interest from what we've, the path we've been on. When you are praying with someone in public, you need to have already been on the altar yourself. Number two, speak as someone who knows God. Speak simply. Don't be rash with your speech. Speak according to God and his word. Being complex and rash with your speech identifies you as someone that does not know God. And knowing God means you know how to get to him. Knowing him means you come boldly before the throne of grace. That's what, he, that's what his desire is. His desire for us is for us to know him and for us to know that he hears us when we pray. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. If you, if you were to go back and read Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 5, there's so many nuggets of truth here. You, you could study these chapters in the following chapters or two, for, study them for years and not, not exhaust everything that's there. And I, and I don't say that in a, a flippant way at all. There is so, so, such rich teaching here. So taking a step forward and transitioning just a tad from, from the altar. When you leave the altar, you are not leaving the altar as yourself in your own skin. Paul said in Romans 12 that you are a living sacrifice. As a living sacrifice, you get up and you walk in newness of life through your day. You get up and walk in newness of life through, your, through all of your living, through all of your doing. But your carnal man must stay on the altar. And once that happens, you can begin this public ministry where Matthew chapter 10, Matthew, Mark 6, Luke 9, and then the, the, the four occasions where the Great Commission is discussed, where Jesus releases us into the world to minister to people. And... Matthew 28 says this, and this, this challenged me when I read it recently. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So if Jesus commanded his disciples, and his disciples commanded the places that they ministered. 
and we have their teachings, then we should observe all the things that Jesus did as well. So the question then becomes, how did Jesus demonstrate the kingdom in public? Did he, did he speak flowery prayers? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. Jesus, in this passage, is cleansing a leper. In verse 1 through verse 4. And in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying... Actually, let's go back to verse 2, excuse me. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. When you are before someone that society would say is unclean, when you are before someone that society would say no one once they're a castaway. Don't, 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 don't feel the pressure to perform for them. Don't feel the pressure to make it happen by saying something powerful or something flowery and pretty, something Shakespearean, as it were. That's not the point. The point is to be effective for the release of faith for kingdom impact. Jesus, knowing the will of God, says, I, I will. It, it is, it's my will for you to be clean. So I will. I'm answering your question. You said, if it's, if it's my will, pray for me or cleanse me. And he said simply, I, I do will. I will be clean. That simple. I will be clean. In verse 5 through chapter 13, a centurion's paralyzed servant is healed. This one is done from a distance. So Jesus got up close and personal with the, with the castaways and the unclean. But for the elite, more, more of the elite, those that we would think we would, we would choose to spend more time with, he did this one from a distance. He just spoke the word and said, go, let it be done as unto you. Let, let it go. Let it be done. Let's go to verse. Um, verse 13 of Matthew chapter eight. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Here is the problem. In our minds, we say, wow. In our hearts, we say, oh, that, that'll never happen through me. Because we still struggle with the temptation, the second temptation in the wilderness to prove who we are. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive 
the DNA of Christ into you and you become part of his family. You are a new creature. In the spirit, there is no difference between you and he. Paul said, for ye are who? The the what? The body of Christ. As the body of Christ, are we separate and apart from him? Or are we the same as him? Literally. Well, technically, Brother Isaac, you know... The way DNA works, I am my father's and mother's child. I'm aware of that. But you but your spirit was awakened by the Holy Ghost. And you fundamentally changed at that moment. So literally, are you the child of God or not? If you are the child of God. then it is just as easy for you to say, go and be it done for you according to your, as you believe, as it is for Jesus to say, go, be it done for you as you have believed. The demon possessed, Mark chapter 8, Mark 5, Luke 8, Jesus simply said, Go, come out of the man. Jesus simply said, go. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't mince words. He he didn't waste space and try to be perfect or perform for them. Well, why didn't Jesus heal everybody? It's a great question. It wasn't his will to. There were instances, and I, I read, the, read the verses again today, just to refresh my own mind and heart as we were as preparing for this. There were instances where it says Jesus healed all of their sick. It happened. It is the will of God for us to be in seasons of ministry where everybody who's sick is healed. It is the will of God. It is the will of God for each and every person in this in this room to experience what is promised to the believer. They shall lay hands on the sick. They shall recover. They shall speak with new tongues and they shall. What did he say about devils? They shall cast out devils. It's God's will for every single person in this room to experience that. But the question is, 
Are you and I willing to go to our altar each day, present ourselves as a living sacrifice, and die so that Jesus can manifest himself through us? That is the question. That's the question. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. In Matthew chapter 17, can you go to Matthew chapter 17, verse 18, please? Matthew chapter 17, Jesus, is, Jesus rebukes the devil and departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Go to verse 19. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Don't go to the next verse yet. Hold right there. Now, <clears throat> you and I have many things going on in our lives. There are people in here that are in the will of God going through times of testing in order to come out of slumber and come into watching and praying. There are those of you that are in a wilderness in the perfect will of God, being tempted of the devil, and you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome. It's, it's that simple. You are going to overcome. And then there are, as part of, as part of that group, there are, there are, as part of both groups, really, there are things that we have exposed ourselves to that should not be. And um, I'm going to take my glasses off so I can't see faces. There are those of you here that have been battling a spirit of infirmity outside of God's will. And you've wondered, why does everybody in my family keep getting sick? Why do I keep getting sick? Why does this keep happening? It seems like we're on a carousel. Once somebody, it's just never ending. It's constantly going round and round and round and round. And before church, when I was laying on the floor, the Lord gave me this passage of scripture. And let's read verse 20, verse 20 now. And Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as of a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Verse 21. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Huh. Is he saying the devil only comes out by prayer and fasting? 
No. I have wondered for a long time why Jesus said unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. I've wondered this for a long time. It's possible that our awesome bishop has preached this and in my youth and ignorance and iniquity, let's just be honest, I just completely missed it. But the Lord said to me today, as I was praying, laying on the floor praying, he said, the problem is people are battling this stuff because of unbelief. And I was like, Lord, what do you mean? He said, unbelief feeds from iniquity. It's fed by iniquity. And when you don't lay on your altar, your unbelief just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So when you pray for things that are not God's will in your life, you don't pray in faith believing. And when you don't pray in faith believing, you don't receive. Our problem is not our unbelief. The problem is our iniquity. You can starve unbelief if you handle your iniquity. And how do we handle iniquity? This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Fasting does not simply mean not eating. It is the denial of your flesh of what it wants. It also means not eating. Because we definitely want to eat. We definitely want to eat. But when's the last time you decided, you know, body, you don't need to eat today. Or you're only going to eat the meal required for your medication. You are not going to have anything else. When is the last time you said to your body, your flesh, I want X, Y, Z, or this or that, and you know what? No, I am not going to do it. I am going to deny my flesh and pray so that I don't enter into temptation. The first principle of public ministry is where is your altar? And is your altar in disrepair? So in closing, I want us to find our altar. I want us to I'm going to turn this microphone off in just a moment. And our prayer tonight is going to be our dismissal. So when you no longer hear me in the microphone, when you can be dismissed if you don't want to stay and pray. But if you need to find an altar, I strongly recommend you take a few minutes, redeem a few minutes, and talk to Jesus and repair your altar. Lay your life down afresh and new. And then when you go to sleep and wake up tomorrow, do it again.
because. Can you put that verse back up, please? Verse 21. Because this kind goes not out by prayer and fasting. Sometimes you just need to change the equation. You know, I've been doing it my way for so long. I need to do something different to get a different result. Rather than just praying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some fasting. Not because I'm trying to earn something from God, but because my flesh is in the way of what God wants to do. Your first step is to repent for not dying. Ask the Lord's forgiveness for not dying. Ask him for repentance for for your iniquity, for your unbelief. That's our first step. So that's where we're going to start tonight. Father, forgive me for the days, weeks, months, years that I have wasted. Not dying. Joshua, before you lay on that floor, there is a ministry of faith that the Lord is going to release in your life to a dimension you haven't touched yet but he can't do it because there's still too much of you alive when you reach that point where you're willing to let go of the notoriety where you're willing to let go and let him have all the glory there will be a transition of of sorts your life is going to go into upheaval but the upheaval is the will of God because it's shifting you from one dimension to another You going to the corner? Go to the corner. In the name of Jesus. Husbands, wives, fathers, mothers. If your home is being bombarded with sickness, you need to inquire of the Lord. Father, what am I doing that is not covering this family from sickness? Granted, there is some sickness that will touch us. But some of this stuff can be removed by the blood of Jesus and the power of believing. If we will pray fast, deny ourselves, stay awake and pray so that we don't enter into temptation.
I understand you're tired, and I'm not asking you to push hard in your flesh, but I am asking you to focus right now. There's a very sobering, ministering spirit from the Lord that's here. This is not something that you and I created. This is something the Lord has brought. This is, this is conviction. The Lord is wanting our hearts to change. He's wanting our hearts to change. Io romonde alla mandolo dopo cosa manda la bahia. 